The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. invite you to look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Would you stand as we read God's word together? So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Lord, I pray now that we would turn our eyes to the things that are eternal. That you would awaken us from our slumber today. That you would cause us to see and to hear from your word in this hour, at this moment in time that you would speak to each of us and that you would speak to us collectively as the body of Christ called Parkwood. Lord, do a work that only you can do and that according to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It's not often that we are able to share a difficulty together. In the past, when a society or a large group of people or even the world shared difficulty, it normally resulted in resolve. Most recently would have been 9-11, as it created a resolve in our society. If you go back in history, World War II united not only the United States, but the world together. COVID-19 has given us a unique experience. Something that we all, in an unavoided way, are having to experience and deal with. So I have to ask this question. What is this period of shared struggle and hardship producing in us? Well, it appears to me that it's creating more unrest and more anxiety every day. We don't appear to be coming together. We appear to be going further apart. The anger, the angst, the blame, it swirls and gets stronger every day. And on top of that, people are grabbing new things every day to get angry about. Some, we should. Others, not so much. So my question today is, what is this experience producing in us as believers? as followers of Christ. Here's my main idea. Though we experience temporary difficulty and decline, we do not lose heart knowing that Christ is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Now before I get into the the meat of this text, we have to put forward a disclaimer because I don't want to assume that you agree with something. In fact, I'm going to assume most of you have been taught the opposite, either subtly or emphatically. This scripture talks about the outer self and the inner self. Quite literally, the outer humanity 
and the inner humanity. It's describing the one self, the one human being. It's describing the outer part, our physical body, which is temporary, and our inner self or our soul, which is eternal. Or you could say the material and the immaterial. Now here's what this text is not teaching and where you cannot go because this is not biblical thinking. This is not teaching a philosophical way of looking at life called dualism. Dualism says the body is bad, the soul is good. The, body is, the, the Bible is not teaching that your body is bad. The, the Bible is teaching that your physical body is temporary. Now, yes, it does struggle with your flesh and temptation, but your physical body is temporary and your soul is eternal. And he's going to give it a full explanation in chapter 5. So what we want to consider, first of all today, is the temporary and put ourselves in right thinking and in right context in our minds. Followers of Christ experience Temporary difficulty and decline. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen the documentary that's out there now. It's called The American Gospel, where it's actually quoting American prosperity preachers who will say things like this, Christians don't, shouldn't get sick, or Christians don't get sick, or Christians don't face things that are hard or difficult. Well, folks, that's just not biblical. That's not a full reading of the Bible. In fact, it's a deadly twisting of the Bible. In this text... A few basic things are taught that we need to wrap our minds and hearts around. First, our outer self is wasting away. Quite literally, it's rotting. I don't know if you like bananas. I like bananas, but I don't like those hard green ones. They're worthless in my opinion. So I do pay. This is one of the few times I will pay for the organic banana. But if you don't eat the organic banana in about 48 hours, it's going to turn brown and be worthless. Now, for those of you who can eat that goobly gunk banana that became banana bread, more power to you. I, I like it when it's ripe and ready to eat. Here's the simplicity of it. Brothers and sisters, we're just bananas. We're temporary. And we might be shooting ourselves full of the things they shoot those green bananas with, but they still wear out too. Our outer self is wasting away. In chapter 5, he takes up a different metaphor and he says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So this, this tent is, is a temporary dwelling, it is a dwelling that is going to wear out, and it is a dwelling which exposes us, which as a result, we groan. And in this tent, we are longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So we recognize that this tent, this body, is temporary and will wear out. The second acknowledgement in this text, light momentary affliction. The word affliction means distress or an oppressive state of physical adversity or mental adversity or social adversity 
or economic adversity. Kind of describes what's going on right now. In 2 Corinthians, Paul uses this word over and over. Let's go back to chapter 1 and just watch how often he uses the word affliction. Chapter 1, verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction. Verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. Chapter 2, verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. Chapter 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way. Life is hard. I hear a lot of people talking about hard lately. And, and, and I have a question for you. Is hard bad? If I went out on the street right now and I started asking people questions, is hard bad? The answer is, in our society, whether we want to say it emphatically or not, the answer is yes. Hard is bad. Avoid bad. The real question for us is, as believers, can hard be worked for good? The answer is emphatically yes. And that we need to get a right view of hard in order for us to move forward in life. So here's my big and main point. Though we experience temporary difficulty and decline, we do not lose heart knowing that Christ is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Verse 16. So we, that, are, that is Christians, anybody who's not in Christ, I understand why they lose heart. In fact, I could argue that they ought to lose heart. But we who are in Christ, we who have trusted in Christ alone for our salvation through what he has accomplished on the cross and through the power of the resurrection, we, because we know what Christ has accomplished and what he is going to accomplish, we don't lose heart. Even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So this is a repeated phrase, we don't lose heart from verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry of mercy, we do not lose heart. So in other words, though it is obvious that our outer self is wasting away, we don't lose heart. So I want to ask you a question that I want you to ask yourself right now. Is it obvious to you that your outer self is wasting away? Now, part of that depends on your age. Part of that depends on your life experience. But if you, if you just pay attention in the world, you understand that your outer self is wasting away. So though it is obvious that it is wasting away, here's what we know as believers, this is why we don't lose heart, that our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now the word renewed here means it's being made new or improved or it's being restored. This is present passive. This is something that is always going on that is being done to us. It's a passive verb. We're not accomplishing this. God is doing it. We are being renewed day by day. My father bought a 1965 Mustang, 1965. He drove the car. 
I drove the car. My brother drove the car. He wrecked it while he was in college. It sat wrecked behind Jim Wright's shop for a long time and nearly rusted away. My dad has spent the last three years of his life restoring that car. It looks like it just rolled off uh, the factory. It looks absolutely brand new. But you know what? At some point, somebody else, if we keep that car long enough in our family, is going to have to restore it again. It's not a permanent outcome. But here's what the Bible's teaching. Our new self, our inner self, is being renewed day by day. That doesn't mean God's putting me back to being an 18-year-old. It means God's doing something better. That we who are in Christ are becoming more like Christ, and this is day by day, not once in a while. See the language? We're being renewed day by day day. Colossians chapter 3. And I've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And this is happening in the midst of real life. So while life is happening to us, these afflictions, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now he draws a comparison. Verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he's comparing two things. Make sure you see what he's comparing. He's comparing affliction with glory. A state of high honor. So this this distress that we're going through is light and insignificant and it is momentary. That means it's only going to last for a brief time. You say, well, that is an understatement. And in fact, that's harmful to me. If you knew what I was going through seated here while you're preaching this sermon, you would never say that it is light and momentary. It's insignificant and brief. It's been going on for a very long time. Here's what the Bible is teaching. It is not belittling anything you're going through. I have watched brothers and sisters in Christ go through horrendous things, things that are unimaginable to to me. Yet I have watched them walk through that and see it as light and momentary in comparison. This is important. In comparison to that which is going to be. That it is preparing uh, for us an eternal That means without end. Weight of glory. The word weight means tremendous or significant. Weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Literally from extraordinary degree to extraordinary degree. There's two words there that says beyond comparison that are repeated. Exact same word. It's something that God is doing. One Greek scholar translated this text this way. I love it. For our momentary light bundle of affliction produces for us in a way that is both breathtaking and immeasurable an eternal tonnage of glory. That this present suffering, this affliction that we are going through is not in vain and it is not pointless. In fact, in God's hands, he is working in us and for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all measure. Now this parallels Romans chapter 8. 
invite you to turn there with me. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul writes, For we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Then he gives perspective, just like he's given perspective in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Here's the perspective. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. (laughs) Isn't it interesting? Here he says it's not even worth comparing. He compares it in chapter 4, but he's, he's so overwhelmed by what God is doing and what God is going to do. He says here it's not even worth comparing with the glory, the tonnage of glory that is beyond all comparison is that is to be revealed to us. So as children of God, through Jesus Christ, we cry to him by the Holy Spirit in the midst of our affliction, and God produces in us a glory that is incomparable. Now, how does he do this? Verse 18. As we look, again, this is present tense, but this is active. Here's what we are doing. We are looking. Now, this is the language of chapter 3. We are seeing through the eyes of faith. We are seeing what you can't see. We look to the things that are unseen, and we do this by faith. We we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are are unseen are eternal. So we shift our focus from what is right in front of us And we turn our eyes upon Christ and his eternal word. We turn them from what is transient or temporary, which is not permanent, to what is unseen at this time that is eternal before us. Now, I want to ask you a question, brothers and sisters. How have you used these last three months? Have have you dug deeper into trolling the internet for another story about the conspiracy that is COVID-19? Have you read another article on how masks are stupid? Of course, a lot of people obviously believe that. (laughs) Our worship services are going down, not up. And we know it's the mask. So what do you do? You know? But we keep we keep filling our minds with all these different things. We stay on the 24-hour news cycle and we watch it over and over and over and over and over again. And is it any wonder that we are just as anxious and angry as the rest of the world? When God has said to us, we look, present active, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. How do you do this? The answer is faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1. faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Hope does not mean you wish. 
Hope is that you are believing, that you're setting your mind's attention, your heart's affection on what is to be. You can't see it yet, but you're convicted. You know that it's true. That's faith. I had a college professor, which I enjoyed his classes. I learned a lot from him. He studied at the University of Tennessee, and a lot of his studies sent him into mountain churches. And one of his favorite group of people to make fun of were mountain church people. One of the things that he most would bring up was their obsession with heaven. Every time you go to these churches, they sing about heaven. Now, these kind of conversations, this kind of anger or angst or whatever it was for him, caused me in lots of conversation. I learned a lot on how to talk to people who think completely different than me with this professor. But here were his two underlying assumptions. Number one, people need a way to escape hardship. So what these mountain people do is they come to these churches and they sing about heaven and that's how they escape their hardship. You know what he would say? I drink. I go home and I drink. That's how I escape. They sing about heaven. Number two, this is his underlying assumption. Heaven's not real. The reason I drink is because it's the here and now. I need to focus on the here and now. Let's just live in the here and now. And let's quit singing about the sweet by and by. His point was, live in reality. So I have a question. Who's reality? Or let me ask it this way. Who's defining our reality right now? Who's defining your reality? Who are you instructing you? So I'll ask it this very pointed way is the so what. Am I focused on the things that I can see or the things that are not yet seen? So I'm preaching this sermon on June 21st, 2020, in the midst of a pandemic and a world that is in shutdown or at least slowdown. And listen very carefully to what I say from this point forward, because I've been sound, people been using sound bites of thing I've said lately and getting offended with me. Listen to everything I say until I'm finished. It's a connected thought. One sentence does not stand in isolation. I am convinced that much of what we are witnessing in the world is an obsession with the outer self. I do not believe that the world would have responded this way 50 years ago. In fact, they didn't. Between the years of 1968, around December, through early 1970, the Hong Kong flu killed an estimated 4 million people in the world. According to the CDC, 100,000 people died in the United States in that time period. A few schools shut down. You know why? Because they didn't have enough teachers. That was it. The Apollo 8 went into space, and while they were there, the commander, Frank Borman, came down with the Hong Kong flu. How do you social distance in a rocket? You can research this on your own. 
The media hardly discussed it. On the day of its largest outbreak, the article was on page 24 in the New York Times. Why? Because people thought differently in 1970 than they think now. This is not a sermon on how to handle a pandemic. I'm a preacher. I'm not a scientist, and I'm certainly not a politician, and I don't want to be. I'm simply trying to gain perspective in my own heart and mind and for you. Here's what's the goal, become the goal. The goal is stay healthy and free from sickness. Now, I'm not belittling health in any way. I am asking something deeper. Why aren't we asking about human relationships right now? Why aren't we discussing what this is doing to marriage and family and churches? Why aren't we asking this question? My daughter, who's Mary Claire, who is in a, in a class this summer, she's been given this assignment. She is to write on what this is doing to toddlers and infants and how this is going to affect the rest of their life based off of prior research. How's this going to shape, in other words, how's this going to shape a child who had very little human interaction in the most crucial part of their life for months? How about people's mind and emotion? Why are people so afraid? Have you noticed people are scared of each other now? Why are, why are people so anxious? Why is anxiety on the rise? Why are people so angry? Why is there a tinderbox that people are just ready to go off in a moment and nobody's talking about depression? Why is hardly anyone asking the question, what is going on inside of people? And how about your soul? Are you taking care of your soul? All of you had an opportunity to have something that you'll probably never get again. You all had an opportunity at a sabbatical. You had an opportunity to rest and to replenish your soul. Did you? Or did you stick your nose in the news and the internet? Did you cause yourself to fret more and more every day? Or did you turn your mind to the things of God? I'm not here to shame you on what you did. I'm here to remind you of what God promises. What God is promising here, brothers and sisters, is when we look to the things not to the things that are seen, but to the things of, that are unseen, and we embrace affliction for what it is, God is doing something in us that is profound. Simply stated, are you looking to Christ? Are you gazing into His Word? 
Do you long to be with his people? (laughs) This is not mean. I just want you to think about it. I don't know how many people have said to me, it's really working for us to stay home and listen on the internet. It shouldn't be. That shouldn't be okay. You should long to be with God's people. Now maybe you should stay home because you're at risk. But while you're at home, you should long for God's people. Why? Because we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together that we might spur one another on. I drag my weary tent in here with you. And you drag yours in here. And together through the Spirit of God and the Word of God, He encourages us. Here's what we come and remember every week. Our citizenship is in heaven. My professor hated this song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's true. It might be said in the vernacular, but it's true. This this ain't my home. And we are in Christ. We're we're just passing through. And we're waiting on a, a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Paul says, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. Don't lose heart. And we keep from losing heart when we look to Christ and in his eternal word. C.S. Lewis just had a way of saying things. Here's what he said. Whatever is not eternal is eternally out of date. I repeat that. Whatever is not eternal is eternally out of date. Are you fixing your heart and mind by faith on the eternal or what is out of date? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your holy word, for convicting my own heart. And I dare say and trust you've convicted the hearts and souls of those who've gathered. I pray for those who have never looked to Christ and believe that you would convict them that Christ alone is their hope and salvation. And for those that have turned their attention and affection somewhere else, may they repent and look to you. As we recognize together that you are doing something in us, that every day you're at work and that you are making us more like you and one day you will return. And we long for that day, Lord Jesus, when you transform our lowly bodies to be like your glorious body. And we ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.